Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report presented by Great Days Outdoor Magazine, the first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. And I'm looking out the side today, and it's kind of ugly here. Rainy, cold, winds blowing. Definitely a day that I'm, be honest with you, I'm glad I'm not on the lake be rough be rough fishing out there for me right now but tree stand later this afternoon absolutely that might happen man i'm excited this is the first show of 2021 and i just can't wait to kick this thing off it's gonna be a uh, exciting to get the year started speaking of getting it started let's start off at west point late with ken baird and ken what's going on buddy Oh, we just setting out a cold and rainy day right now. <laughs> Man, that's just what I was saying here. It's uh I'm glad it's one of them days I'm glad I'm not on the water. Yeah, forty three and and raining this not gonna be very pleasant out there. Uh, and the wind's howling here and it's just south of Birmingham where I'm at. I'm gonna be honest with you, Ken. I'm hoping it's gonna die down here in about a about the time we get off this podcast because I'm gonna climb a tree if it does. <laughs> that wind yeah. will turn right just a little bit i'm gonna climb a tree so a little bit better yeah. day to deer hunt than the fish probably yeah 2021 you know it's here some good fishing days are gonna come with it some ugly ones are gonna be there as well what's it looking like on west point right now is it is it good bad or ugly fishing right now well it it just depends on how you you know what you're fishing for and and what kind of day it is the water is now at winter pool so it's about six foot low and that's about as far as it's going to go it's gotten down to 50 degrees with, with the cold cold snap we had a uh, week before last it, it really dropped water from 57 down to 50 uh, now you know if you have a couple of days where it's real sunny and you get back in some creeks and coves out where the wind's been north wind's been blocked out can you know it'd get on up to 53 54 and uh it's not not too bad i was out last week with a couple of guys from down from new york visiting with some relatives and uh they wanted to go fishing so they found me on the internet and took them out one of them was around 80 so he had to just sit in the seat he couldn't get up into the chair on the back of the back deck. His son-in-law told me, you know, that he said, when I, when I take him, that's normally what he just sits down there. I'm thinking, well, how am I going to yeah. get this guy, guy on some fish? So, And they really didn't mind what they were catching. They just wanted to have fun and catch some fish. So I had been catching a lot of fish on the spoon. I mean, 60-plus fish, you'd catch them just till you got tired of catching them. What you do is these big, long points that stick out. Once they feed on out there into about 20 foot, 19 to 25 feet, right before it drops off into the channel, it it normally gets a little flat spot out there, and then it drops off into the channel, and and they have been just stacked all over those places. So, you know, that's, that's what I had in mind to since one of them could only sit in the chair there. So... We go out and we spoon about seven different places and 
we've only caught like three fish and so i went from catching as many as i want to not getting but a couple bites so i'm like well when we was moving from place to place i was west point one thing they done when they was clearing the timber out is from about 25 feet the depth of 25 feet back up to zero or one foot or whatever they cleared everything out to about 25 feet and Mm. just left little sapling and stuff like that but out there past 25 feet you got full-size trees on the water that are 25 and 30 feet tall and i would when we'd leave one place going to the next i would notice i would see that's where the bait was at we had had a but a lot of rain and it was turned cold and it just pulled those fish off those little flat areas next to the channels and back out into that deeper timber and, and they really they're kind of hard to catch when they get like that you get hung up a lot stuff like that you, you really got fish vertical and when you have two other people in the boat it's really hard mm-hmm. uh, especially if they, they haven't done a lot of fishing so i sit down i, I run back up in a creek and the water is nice and clear, is blocked from the wind. And um, I sit down and I tied on three fish head spins and I put a Zoom Super Fluke Junior on their albino color. And uh, I, I put them on their rods and I put one on mine. And that's because I knew he couldn't cast, you know, the one sitting down in the coves and stuff. And so I figured spooning was going to be the deal, but the fish are going to decide what's, what the deal's going exactly. to be. So my next option was to just troll these little fish head spins over the top of that timber. And so we go about a city block and I catch a, a hybrid about six or seven pounds. But I notice on back in the creek there, there's some loons and some seagulls flying. And I'm thinking, I bet you that's where they're going to be at. And so I just, just sort of cranking up, I just trolled my way onto them. And as soon as we got to them, we started nailing them. And they were stripers from five to nine pounds. The older gentleman who was sitting down, he he had never caught fish that big. It was just amazing to him. And uh, That's great. So I, yeah, I, I talked them into keeping them and taking them home and filleting them. <laughs> I said, y'all need to have a fish fry, man. Yeah, we don't need to put these back in the lake. So I had to go to Florida, and two, he had two veterans. He kept telling me he had two veterans coming. But I, I had to go to my daughter's in Florida. And so he took the two veterans back to the same spot with the same bait, and they caught, I think, 12 uh, just trolling around. But Sometimes you just got to take what the lake will give you as far as fishing. If the bass fishing is not very good and you may want to just, if you just want to catch some fish, you know, trolling those fish head spins around is, is really easy. You just have to figure out if you cast too far, you'll get hung in those trees. You want that thing to come over the top of the trees within a few feet where the fish will come up out of that tree and grab it. So you got to figure out the speed and the weight of your lure and how far you're going to cast back. That's going to determine how deep that thing's going to go. And if if you get if your bait's too heavy or if you're going too slow, you're going to constantly get be hung in the trees. So right, yeah, yeah. And the yes. other, like you said, the only other thing you can really do is, especially with that spoon, is is just 
vertical fish. Yeah. Now, you know, I mm-hmm. sometimes I do cast a spoon up on a place, but I know the area. I know what's up there. I've fished it so many times. Right. I know it's the clean gravel, hard rock bottom, something like that. If there's brush piles and stuff like that, you can't do it. You just lose too many You just spoons, lose them. So. Well, and, and it's funny, you know, uh, we have so many people on the show that we talk to around the state and watching TV on shows and professional anglers. You really don't hear a lot about spoons anymore. And it's, mm-hmm. it's funny because last week we had a guy on here that was talking about fishing with spoons and now and then here you are this week talking about it and the guy last week was using it the same way he was catching fish he was in logan martin actually he's a wonderful young man hunter he three years in a row he won the high school national championship three mm-hmm. years in a row he was he finished number one and and uh won it on kentucky lake all three years he's going he's a freshman at auburn on the fishing team now but mm-hmm. he was up in Logan Martin just absolutely killing them, but he was catching them on spoons and swim baits. So I was going to ask you, you know, if, and he, do you fish swim baits much there, or, or why do you pick a spoon over a swim bait type lure? Well, my veteran buddy, that's the, my organization, the Veterans Fishing Organization, is in, it's all in memory of, he had Lou Gehrig's disease, and so he had lost all the muscle tissue in his left arm and could only could lift it about three inches. So, and this happened in his early fifties. So he had to figure out how he could still fish because that, you know, he was a fishing nut like a lot of us. So he taught himself how to spoon. Mm. He could spoon all day with his right arm because there was nothing wrong there. He could pop that spoon up and down. But his left arm would give out on him, so he couldn't do a lot of casting and reeling. So he learned how to find fish with his depth finder and drop down there and catch them. So he taught that technique to me. He'd been doing it for years. I've been fishing 20 years and never caught fish on a spoon. And I get in the boat with him, and he's like snatching them up right and left. And so he teaches me that. And I, I did know how to drop shot, and he had never drop shot. He wasn't into the uh new things that were out there so so i taught him how to drop shot but the swim bait it depends on the size of the school of fish that you're fishing for if they're bigger fish four plus bigger i would say the swim bait you know would work great these fish run in about the same size like we'll get on some spooning fish and they'll all be a pound half to two pounds you know, right. and sometimes you get on some thing, but eight inches, six to eight inches long, you know, and you just leave them. But, and then like we caught those the other day with the fish head spin trolling it, and they were all, like I said, six to nine pounds. That's fun, man. You know, That's a fun size of fish to catch. It is. It is that uh, they, those guys from New York had never caught fish like that. I mean, they they only caught little perch. <laughs> they could not believe it. But and the fish head spin, I can when it gets hung in those trees, if they don't pull too hard on, and I I can stop my boat fast enough, I can normally just pop it loose like you would a crankbait. And if right. if that doesn't work, I just go back and get straight up and down over it, Jerk and just it barely. Out. Yeah, or either I send a weight down there, uh, a plug knocker kind of thing, and so we don't lose a, a very 
few of them that way. Now, if, if they get real hot and the gulls get to flying and you get to seeing fish swirling, now that's when I would pick up the swim bait and throw it and cast it or either Alabama rig with swim bait. Alabama rig, yeah. But when fish get in certain moods, now this is many, many years of experience of failure talking right here. I have been on the water and been looking at schools of fish on my depth finder and they will not touch that spoon. And I'm jerking it up and down. I'm I'm doing all this stuff. And I can actually pull it up and watch the fish follow it up, pull it up a little more and the fish will come up with it some more and then drop it down, but he just will not eat it. And when I see that, that tells me something because I had a gentleman out from Kentucky one day. He was down here and hired me, and we could see him just like that. And I told him, and I got frustrated. I said, well, just throw your spoon out the back, about half a cast, three-quarters of a cast. And we both did, and I trolled it through those fish, and we both hooked up. Hmm. So I remember that, and I got on some fish again. I had a little boy, a high school kid, his father had sent him down here for me to help him learn some techniques and stuff. And we got on a school, and it was the same way. They would follow the spoon up. They'd follow it down, but they just wouldn't eat it. And so I backed off, and we took Alabama rig and cast it beyond where we were sitting at, let it sink down, and then slowly wind it through there, and bam, we both hook up at the same time. And so... Well, I've learned there's times that a fish wants a bait going horizontal more than he wants it going vertical. Going vertical. Yeah, he just, for for whatever reason, just prefers it. Yeah, and and there's times that they want it vertical more than they do horizontal. Mm -hmm. And that's normally after uh, some kind of big change, like, uh, you know, like we had the water temperature fell. And we'd had that cold rain, and they run the water hard for two days, Friday and Saturday, and then they shut it off. And then the guys come Sunday for the guide trip from New York. So everything changed. The temperature of the water, the water went from running hard to zero water. And so it really it changed the mood of the fish. And like I said, we spooned on places and spooned and, and couldn't get anything vertical. And since we started going horizontal, it was on. And it's kind of like that with crankbait. You know, let's swap over to think about bass fishing. A lot of times you're throwing square bills and stuff like that that are coming coming horizontal, and the fish are on them. You know, you catch them on them. You throw a jig and stuff like that, and you go down the same bank, and you can't get a bite. You turn around and go down through there with a crankbait, and, you know, you catch them. This is something I've learned years of fishing that's right and that's why it's important i think for people that may not be as experienced and and want to get better at fishing and and learn to go with somebody like you on a lake to see okay well they're not doing this so let's try this approach and that's not a working so let's try this approach or they were here now they're there why'd they go there you know just there's so Mm. much education when you're guiding somebody it's not just about them. A lot of times it is. A lot of times you got people, they just, man, they just want to go catch a few fish and they'll call you next time they want. And that's great. But there's, mm-hmm. there's other people that 
man, it, it's not just a good time. It's an educational, it's an educational day. And they learn a lot from people like yourself. Well, it sounds like you're catching fish. That's the thing, especially it sounds like before they moved off them ledges a little bit. And I'm sure they'll move back up before long too. But man, it sounded like you were killing the bass and still able to move when they stopped and, and go find some stripes and have an awesome day at that too. So if somebody wants to come uh, jump in the boat where you can, what's the best way for them to reach you, brother? You can go on Facebook. Ken Beard and Fishing. You can send me a message uh, on Messenger through there. Uh, KenBeardandFishing.com, my website. You go on there, they can send a message. You can give me a call, 706-884-0494. Any of those awesome. ways it will get me. You know, one thing we like to do, Ken, when we finish out a segment is, is kind of have a tip of the day for your particular lake and, and, and what the fish are doing right now. So if you had to give a tip of the day, you know, what would your tip of the day be for right now? If somebody mm-hmm. was coming fishing in the next couple of days, if they were going to target largemouth and spotted bass, I definitely fish, you know, bluffy, rocky looking banks with a, with a jig, with a square bill. And this even when the water hits 50, it's time to pull out that old shad wrap. Mm-hmm. And tied on that little fairy wand rod. It's a real tight bait, and the, the shad's getting a little slower. It's hard to beat a number seven shad wrap in the crawfish color here in, in Lake Widawi uh, on these uh, rocky banks. And then any type of football head jig, half ounce, three quarter ounce, whichever you prefer. If I'm going to be flipping in the wood and stuff like that, I go with three eighths and uh, some type of pointed head jig now if you want to come to west point and just try and catch some fish you want to look for the birds you want to look for gulls flying and loons and i prefer to go in the creeks where it starts to narrow down that'll keep your fish in a closer area if you get them in that wide open area they've got too much room to move you'll lose them so if you go back in the creeks where it starts to narrow down they normally will stay in that little area right there. But the key is to find the birds because that, that's where the bait's going. Yeah. That, that's good advice right there, find the birds. Yeah, appreciate that, man. That's a great, great tip. Well, Ken, man, I appreciate it, buddy. And uh, stay safe on the water out there. And we look forward to talking to you next time. Appreciate you being on. Yes, sir. Thank you all. God bless. All right, man. Take care. All right. Well, that was a great segment with Ken. We appreciate him being on. And, uh, man, it sounds like he's catching fish at West Point right now. So let's go another direction. Let's head up north and get on the call. Chris, you there? I am here. Uh, We got Captain Chris Jackson here. And, uh, Chris, man, where you been fishing? You been up at Smith, Gunnersville area? Hey. Yeah, I've been uh, hit Gunnersville a few times and been on Smith, the cold water. Uh, a lot of people want to fish at Smith and catch those cold water spotted bass. So what's the difference? And I'll just start right there. Just uh, Is the cold water at these cold temperatures, is it just that you can catch more fish? It's, not, uh, it's just butter fishing right now? Yeah, the, the bigger fish, the bigger fish are usually are a little bit better uh, at Smith when the, the, when the temperatures are cold. And I, I think it has a lot to do with the visibility. The uh, the jerk bait bite is pretty solid, 
in the spy baiting, you know, that tactic, throwing the spin bait 80 and the spin bait 90 both, and the new alpha has been really productive. And I think they can, you know, the clearer water, they can see the bait from a lot further distance, and that makes a difference. All right, on spin bait, when you say spin bait 80 and 90, I mean, what are we talking about here? Yeah, the duo realist um, spin bait is a spy baiting technique is what it's called. And and it's basically a small three-eighths prop bait that's got a, a prop on the front and the back. And it's it's a real subtle finesse tactic. It looks a lot like a devil horse. In fact, we want to work in shows. A lot of people think that's what it is. And then when we explain, you know, that it's a weighted bait, it's not top water. And, you know, we're fishing it in 60, 70, 80 feet of water. So we'll count it down that far before we even start working the bait. Because um, a lot of those fish will go down, especially on days like today when it's kind of cloudy. They'll stay further down, you know, in that thermocline area where it's a little bit warmer. And then if the sun comes up and it starts heating the top of the water column up, it'll, it'll bring the fish up. So it's real versatile bait. You know, I can go, it's, you know, yesterday we, we started off, it was cooler and we we're catching them in 75 feet of water. And then by noon, the sun had come up, the water temperature had come up a couple of degrees and the fish actually moved up. We caught fish on the same bait all day long. We just adjusted from 75 feet and we were catching them in about 25 feet. So they, they came up about 50 feet in the water. You know, it, it helped a lot. 75 feet. That's just crazy sounding to somebody that didn't grow up on a lake that, that fish like that. That's just, it's just amazing. I will be completely honest with you. I have until probably 15 or 18 years ago, if you just seen my trolling motor down and I was in deeper than 12 feet of water, I was probably broke down somewhere. <laughs> I never yeah, fished. Looking for help. I never, <laughs> yeah, I never fished, uh, never fished deep water. And, you know, when I, I started working with a lot of Japanese companies and Japanese anglers and, and learning that finesse deep water tactic, and it's it's opened up a whole new realm now. I get as giddy as a schoolgirl when I catch fish in 70, 80, 90 feet of water because, I, I mean, I giggle. I think it's hilarious, and I love taking clients and doing it because, you know, you can catch a fish. It opens up a whole new way of fishing, really and truly. You know, when those people that deep water fish don't tend to adjust too much to marimetric pressure like shallow water fish do, mm-hmm. you know, typically like in Florida or Lake Gunnersville, you know, a cold front comes in, it's been, say, 60, 70, 80 degrees. A cold front hits, and it drops into the 40s and 50s, and usually it'll shut those shallow water grass fish off, and you have to really finesse them to get them to bite, and it's real difficult. Deeper water fish, even ledge fish at Gunnersville, you know, those fish that are in 30, 35 feet of water, they don't tend to get as finicky when the when a cold front hits, so you can still catch them. So it, it kind of opens up a new door, or, well, you know, they're still there. They're just not biting. It's a way to make them bite. Dang. What is the deepest you've caught one on Smith Lake? The deepest I've ever boated one. I have hooked one a little bit deeper, but the deepest I've ever put one in a boat was 135 feet. <laughs> Holy cow. You, you know, in my first, first place, my mind goes on that is, why were you even fishing at 130 feet deep to catch him? Or was you just going out um, saying, how deep can I catch a fish today? I actually went out with a client that's a really good friend of mine. And I called him one day and said, hey, um, I know you're in town. I got a new bait, a couple of new baits I want to try. If you got two or three hours to kill, come get on the boat with me. We may not catch a thing, but 
I just want you to see this because he's a real big finesse fisherman too. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually from California. So he, he's like, yeah, sure. I, I got time. So he gets on the boat at the boat ramp and we went out and scanned and well, I'd been working with him for probably about a year on his electronics. So I, I just kind of was testing him a little bit too. I said, all right, drive around. I let him drive my boat. I said, drive around. I want you to find me a school of fish in deeper than a hundred foot of water. So we drove around and we found three or four schools, small schools of fish and some treetops. And he said, there's some right there. And so he marks them, turns the boat around. I picked up a, a spin bait. It's actually the alpha is what we were testing. I picked up the, the spin bait alpha, which is a shorter bodied version of the spin bait 80 and threw it out, counted it down, got it down deep enough. I had to wait a little over a minute and a half to get it down that far. Got it down that far, started reeling. And about the third cast, I, I caught a four and a half pound spot. And I, I was ecstatic, man. And then, then the bug was hooked. But generally, the way I first started catching deep fish was with a spoon. And I really just wanted to learn how to spoon and learn how to what they call video fish, where you watch your bait fall all the way down on your sonar. I was going to ask you if you're then, watching on sonar, and that's when you know you got the bait in the right zone. Because I, I, right. I would think that when you're fishing that deep, depending on the bait you're Every bait, every lure is not going to have the fall same, you know, exact same fall rate. So it's going to be hard to like. Exactly. So you, yeah, the but best you can way actually to, see your, you can see it going down. Correct. Uh, the best way to find the fall rate on a bait when you're trying to learn to fish that deep is just take the bait. Don't plan on trying to catch a fish. Take the bait, tie it on, and then drop it right beside your transducer and watch it fall and count. And as you're counting and watching it fall, you'll know because actually the deeper a bait gets, the slower it tends to fall because okay. it, it's wanting to raise itself up a little bit. So it may it may fall, say, a foot and a half to two feet a second in the first 12 feet, and then below 12 feet, it'll start slowing down a little bit. And and line tension has something to do with that, too. So you have to be real cautious not to, not sure. to put your finger on the line or anything like that, or to stop that pause. If you pause it, it'll, it'll slow it down even more. So you're just, when you throw that spin bait out, you're just pulling line off your spool. Right. As it yeah, falls, just you're just, you're just giving it line. Right. And honestly, a lot of times what I'll do is if I want to make a really, I want to keep it down in the strike zone a long time, say the fish are in 80 feet of water and I, I mark them, I back off about a half a cast so I can throw past that school of fish. And a lot of times I'll back off a full cast. I'll, I'll throw my bait. And then as it's falling and I'm feeding line, I'll actually slowly back my boat backwards on that direct line and get two, two and a half more cast out of it lengthwise. Oh, yeah. So I can keep that bait down. And basically I, I, I did what, we used to do back in the day was you'd throw like a DD-22 on one side of a barge and then drive with your trolling motor and spool line out and get on the other side of the barge and then bring the bait under it. And, you know, a lot of people do that when they're deep cranking. I just took that deep cranking tactic and moved it towards that so I could get longer cast out of it. Yeah, so and you keep can the stay bait down there, right you stay, stay in the strike zone longer. That makes sense. Right, because... Because you want it to come through that school of fish on a direct straight line, not going down and not coming up. And that's the big key. 
Well, in the last segment, I just had a guy on and he was at West Point. And he was talking about, he was spoon fishing at West Point. And that's what he's catching them on. And he's catching a lot of fish. But he was talking about the, the difference in some days. He said it's a vertical bite. And some days it's, he's fishing it horizontal. And he, he says it's just different times of, of the year and different water temperatures. It seems like the fish wanted a different way. But Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, that's one thing I like about the that spin bait and the spy baiting tactic is you don't have any feel with it. So anybody that's going to go and try to do it needs to go with somebody that's done it or have a lot of confidence in the bait before you go. Because about 10 minutes into it, you don't have any feedback from the bluer as it's coming through the water like you would a crankbait or a Carolina rig, you're feeling the bottom. Uh, you know, a crankbait, you're feeling the vibration. You don't have any of that. You you really cannot feel anything. It feels like you're just respooling your line, basically. So when you're doing it, if you don't have any confidence in it, and that's probably why I book as many trips as I do with that bait specifically, especially this time of year, a lot of people want to learn how to do it. And they bought two or $300 worth of them because they've seen that they work. You know, guys at Bassmasters have done it, and, and the FLWs won, you know, countless events doing it, especially the guys up north in the opens. And they've seen it work, but they go out and they can't buy it. They can't buy a fish. And so they Lose come out on trips with me. Right. You know, 15 minutes, they're going right back to, a, well, and, and I've been just as guilty as anybody of doing that. I've, you know, you're testing a new bait and you're not getting bit. It's like, okay, they're just not eating this today. And you go do something that you've caught fish on before. So you're more confident in it and you throw it longer. So they get on my boat and I won't let them change. I make them throw that bait. And if the fish aren't biting them for some reason, sometimes I'll pick a rod up. And if I catch one on it, then they see. A great example of that, I absolutely can't stand to jerkbait fish in the in the south. I love it up north because they want it moving all the time. But letting a bait sit for 10 seconds and not touch it is just painful. But now, if I see somebody catching them on it, then I'll throw it. Then I have the confidence to sit there. I have the confidence to sit there. So it's normally, I've got a buddy of mine that, that I practice with some. And he loves to jerkbait fish. So normally what I'll do is we'll go somewhere and I'll have him tie on a jerkbait and let him do it. And if he gets bit, then I'll start doing it. <laughs> so so then I know that they're eating a jerkbait. Once I you love, know they're eating I it, love to fish a jerkbait, but, uh, but I don't love to fish a jerkbait slow. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, <laughs> and, and most people don't. You know, it's really difficult to throw a bait out there and pull it and see it and count to 10 or 15 and then bump it one time and then count to 10 or 15 again. That's really (laughs) And And at Gunnersville and Smith too, both, that's very, very productive. You know, I've I've had to sit at Gunnersville 12, 15 seconds before I bumped it, and I only move it two or three inches at a time. But uh, normally by the third time you bump it, when you pull, it pulls back. Right, yeah. Yeah, if they if you and don't that, catch and them, that's the addictive part, right? Yeah. And that's and that's the addictive part to it. But you know, electronics plays a big deal in it now. It's not near like it used to be twenty years ago when we kind of had to guess. Now you can pretty much see the fish and you can watch them swim. So when you're fishing that deep water and you're watching your lure fall, are you using down imaging or side imaging? I use down imaging. I don't have side imaging on the on the front of my boat. 
I only use it pretty much just to on the back transducer just so I can drive and watch ledges or look at uh, standing timber, stuff like that. And once I mark a waypoint where they're at on the back, it transfers up to the front and then I can drive back around and put on that waypoint and I can get right on top of them. And get on top of them. We're actually still uh, we're getting looking for my my dad, who's a crappie fisherman, we're trying to find him a, a new fish finder right now. He's he's never really used one, just kind of old school. But I think he's figured out from some of the other guys that fish his area that that he really needs to get some electronics. But he, he's technically challenged on some of this new stuff. I'll I'll be honest, I am too. I'm just as bad, and it, it's just kind of like the the pan optics. A lot of people talk about it, and they love it. And you can see the fish, and and I I'm not gonna lie to you, I was about to go buy one because I was I was starstruck by it because I, I have learned to be able to to read my electronics good, and I was gonna get that, and I made a comment about it to my dad. He kind of you know of course he's old school, and he said, why do you need that? You can catch fish without it. And I said, yeah, but look at but. the new <laughs> realm I can see. And he said, yeah, it's a very expensive new realm that you can see. I agree. But at the same time, how many guys are winning just because of that? You still got to catch them. You still got to catch them. And I said, yeah, you're right. I said, you're right. You know, if you only had one unit on your boat, like my dad will have, would you want one that just did down imaging or would you want one that did both? Oh, I, I definitely want side imaging. Side imaging is down and side imaging both is, you know, it's two. It's kind of like having power poles and an Ultrax trolling motor, mm-hmm. you know, that, that'll pinpoint a spot. It's both, each one of them has a direct good use. You know, the, the power poles are useless in 35 feet of water That's unless right. you're up north and drifting. But then you got that Ultrax trolling motor that you can spot lock. So it's great for using, and, and I've had several clients ask me, because I don't, I don't even have an Ultrax trolling motor, and they asked me, they said, well, why don't you use it? Because you love to sight fish. And I said, well, the whole point of sight fishing is not to use the trolling motor. So I have power poles. And they said, oh, well, why don't you use it on ledges? And I said, well, I probably would use it on ledges. I just don't have it. And I've learned to not have to have it. I've learned to drift a lot. So... I go back to that old school up north way of fishing. Uh, when I was fishing the northern opens, I learned how to drift, and that's basically my deep water tactic when I've got them on a ledge. But, you know, with the electronics, the down imaging is great when you're sitting on top of something, but you have to basically drive over the top of it. And understanding how the electronics works is probably your biggest key because it, it's not drawing an actual picture where old school sonar sends down one cone, the down imaging sends down multiple cones at a time. So it makes it more of an HD, you know, like a high definition type television versus one big color. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It sends a cone out every three degrees where a regular old sonar sends one cone out and that's it. And the fish go under that cone. A lot of people don't realize, you know, when, when they're sitting there and they have one big line running directly across, say, at 12 feet, and they're sitting in 25 feet of water, it's just one solid line. They go, well, is that a thermocline? I'm like, no, the boat's not moving. 
And I said, well, what does that mean? I said, that's a fish. And they said, what do you, what do you mean? I said, fish don't always swim left or right. If you're sitting dead still on top of a fish or a rock or a stump, it's going to make one direct straight line. If you're sitting completely dead still, it'll, can, it'll keep reading that same thing over and over and over. Right. Whereas if you're moving and it, I mean, you could barely be moving. If you're moving, then that line is going to turn into an arch. And the top of the arch is actually where the fish is, not the bottom. Huh. Because it's swimming into the cone. It goes up to the very, when you're directly on top of it, it's the top of the arch. And then as it starts falling off is where you're starting to to go past it. Dang, man, that's cool stuff. And that's that's something I'm not, I'm just, I'm a novice at as well. I'm actually, uh, I'm actually going to do a thing probably next week. I do a like a live feed thing on my Facebook page and I sit down and people can ask questions, but I, I'll sit there and I'll draw it out on a piece of paper and show them exactly. This is how you're looking at it. And this is what you're seeing. And you know, the difference between a, a stump on the bottom versus a rock, you know, you can tell the difference just by driving over it and looking at it. And you can tell if it's attached to the bottom or if it's sitting on the bottom. You know, if it's a brush pile that somebody's put, you can actually see a line under that brush pile where it's sitting down versus a tree that's growing up out of the bottom. You don't have that line under it. It it goes up over and around it. Man, that's crazy. Technology is just unbelievable. And and but you're right, oh, you yeah. know how to use it. It's been a game changer for sure. Like you said, man, we're talking about these deep water fish in Smith Lake. You couldn't even consider trying to go catch those fish without it. No, very rarely. I mean, I, I learned to fish Smith Lake with a flasher and a Lawrence paper graph. That, that'll age me a pretty good bit. Yeah. And, and I learned to catch fish doing it, but I can catch a whole lot more fish now with the electronics that I have just because they're so much better than they used to be. And to compete against people now, you got these college anglers and high school anglers now that spent most of their life playing video games. They've learned how to play those video games on a sonar, you know, in the old school way of us pulling up on a spot and knowing where the brush pile was by triangulating trees on the bank. You know, that's all gone. You know, now these guys, they can drive around for 15 minutes. And, And I see ledge fishermen, some very accomplished ledge fishermen, that will just pull up on a ledge and just idle down it. And they'll see a school of fish, mark them, turn around and catch them. So they're becoming a lot more productive in tournaments because they don't waste time going, I know there's fish on this hump and going and just fishing for them for an hour. They'll drive past that hump and see where they're sitting on the hump and they'll throw directly at them. It makes it, it's it's a game changer. It's an absolute game mm -hmm. changer. absolutely and And like you said these young guys these high school anglers these young man they're getting good at it oh they're very good at it there's there's several you know college anglers especially that are they're not necessarily just better fishermen but they're they're better with their equipment and you know when you get that good with your equipment you can pretty much beat on somebody it makes it really difficult especially us guys that are hard-headed and don't you know don't want to change a whole lot and it, it took me getting my brains kicked in two or three times for me to say, you know, all right, there's something to this. I got to play with it some more. And I went out and, and basically I sat out with, with guys from Lawrence. I sat out with guys from Hummingbird and I've been out with guys in Garmin 
and because I, I don't have an affiliation with any particular company. And, and I learned because I wanted to learn because I have clients that have all three of those. And, and I've learned from saltwater versions with a Ray Marine, you know, and went out in the ocean and talked to their techs and had them explain stuff. So that way, when a client gets on my boat and he says, I got a Garmin, I can walk him through the steps on a Garmin. But sonar sonar. And it doesn't matter what kind of sonar you have. It's a personal preference, I guess is a good way to put it. Right. And, you know, the mapping systems, they're different. They're a lot different. You know, the mapping system on a, on a Ray Marine system is totally different on the ocean than, say, a Lorentz system. On a lake, it's completely the opposite. It's backwards. Um, and, you know, the Lake Master maps are amazing, you know, and they work primarily with the hummingbird stuff. And there's different versions. I have both. I mean, I have both versions just to give me a little bit of an edge, depending on what lake I'm on. Yeah, you know, and we've got a we we had a kid on. Uh, I say kid, young man, last week, and he's a freshman at Auburn. He won the national, the high school national championship three years in a row. He finished number one in the nation on Kentucky Lake up there. Wow. But uh, yeah, three. He wanted his sophomore, junior, and senior year, and now he's at Auburn. So, but I had him on last week, and he's a ledge. He's he's fishing those ledges right now, and it's exactly what you said is what he's doing. He's getting on those ledges. He's riding, you know, ten foot and and riding out in the deeper until he sees until he finds a school of fish, and the right school mm-hmm. of fish. You know, not just a couple, but a good school of fish, and he's catching fifty, sixty fish a day. And that's a that's unheard of this time of year too. I mean, unheard that's, of. Yeah, that's yeah. A, but this time of year is the time that I tell people this is the time of year to be practicing and going and driving around lakes. You know, if you live on a lake that they draw down like Smith, then put your boat in the water, bundle up, and just idle around and watch the banks. You know, you can find ditches just visually seeing ditches and brush piles and stuff like that. And you can walk over there and mark them. You can get out of your boat and walk over and mark a brush pile and then come back in August and that brush pile is in 20 feet of water. So, you know, anybody that has has lakes that get drawn down a lot, that's a perfect thing to do. And if you've already marked it, you physically have seen it there. So now you're confident it's there. So when you drive your boat across that waypoint, then you can physically look at it on your screen and know what you're looking at. It also helps kind of, kind of teach you what to look for when you're driving around. There's nothing better than driving around and finding a brush pile and turning around, mark it, turn around, make a cast, and drag your jig through it and hit it. Then it's, it's like a light bulb goes off, and then you'll be addicted to it. You'll drive you'll around all day. You'll be addicted to it, looking for it. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And, and I do what you just said when the water's drawn down like they do on Logan Martin. You know, this time of year is when I ride around and when it's drawn down and uh, we'll look at these boat docks that have holes up under the boat docks and, and we'll mark them mm-hmm. that way when we come back in May and June and noodle catfish. We don't have right. to go hit every single dock to try to figure out where it is. We already know which ones have holes under them. <laughs> exactly. You're exactly right. You know, and, and it's the same thing. You know, you see guys that'll tie up brush piles to certain pylons on their piers, and you can see the tips of those hanging up out of the water because they've drawn the water down. Yeah. And so then you just mark driving around at Smith Lake. I'll, I'll drive around Smith Lake at night just looking for people that have dock lights. 
Mm, yeah, they yeah. they call them green monsters. They yep. put the big green monsters up under their docks. I'll drive around because that is a great place to start in an early morning tournament. If you got a low boat number, you can blast over there real quick and hit four or five of those boat docks where those fish are congregated at night eating, and they can get that last little bit of a meal before they disappear for a little bit. That's right. That's good stuff. Give us one thing, you know, we, we'd love to get, and we're trying to gonna start being more consistent on it, doing a tip of the day. So if you had to give somebody a tip of the day for coming to Smith Lake right now, what would it be? Slow down. The biggest thing is to fish slower. If you're fishing slow, you will get bit on Smith Lake. Um, if it's a jerk bait or if it's a spin bait 80 or spin bait 90, but slow down the fish are they're very methodical right now and lethargic so you're not going to get them chasing and schooling and going into a feeding frenzy until you get them to bite once you get them to bite you'll trigger the rest of that school to eat but fishing slow and have some confidence and have some patience is your is your probably your biggest key Good and that stuff. probably goes pretty much anywhere in the country right now yeah, Anywhere I was going. Cold. I was going to ask you if that tip would change on Gunnersville. No, no. the The bite at Gunnersville actually is even slower than Smith for me right now. So if I'm fishing at Gunnersville, I'm fishing you know smaller soft plastics, and I'm really concentrating on forcing a fish to bite the bigger fish. The smaller fish you can throw, you know, a trap and work it a little bit faster and still catch fish, but you're not going to catch as many four and five, six, seven pounders as you would you know, two pounders. Um, but if you'll slow down, those bigger fish will bite. They're there. You just gotta, you just gotta be really patient. And that's, that's the hardest part, especially with guiding this time of year is you gotta, you know, a lot of people take a guide trip and expect to just pull up on a spot and start just smashing fish one after the other. That just don't happen. Pretty much almost any time of the year, it doesn't happen. So, you know, you gotta slow down and have some patience. And then the early bird gets the worm in one respect but the one that's patient gets the biggest worm gets the biggest one well guys if y'all are listening to this i think it's very obvious listening to chris that he has got a wealth of knowledge on those lakes and his electronics with with being able to catch fish in a lot of different depths of water and a lot of different approaches and so if you're looking to do a trip give Chris a, a call, reach out to him and you're going to catch fish, but you're going to gain some incredible knowledge from this guy too. So uh, Chris, if somebody wants to reach out to you and, and book a trip, man, how, how do they need to get in touch with you? Um, you can reach me on my Facebook page at captain Chris Jackson, hyphen professional angler, or you can get me on my, my regular page is Chris Jackson. Or, you know, if you want to call me or text me, it's area code two zero five seven zero six two four two five good stuff man well we appreciate you being on buddy always and uh stay safe out there and keep catching them and we'll we'll catch up with you very soon all right looking forward to it all right chris take care man yes sir you too all right well man chris is just uh, like i said guys he's a wealth of knowledge and and uh, incredible fisherman and 
So y'all be sure and give him a call if y'all are up that way looking for a place to fish or a guide to go with. He'll be a good one, and you'll learn a lot. So we got a for our next segment is we're doing something totally different, guys, and this is something that I've never done in Alabama before. I've done it in other places in Georgia and Tennessee, up in Montana, but fly fishing. I'm really excited about this segment, and the fly fishing in Alabama is not something, especially for trout. Rainbow trout is not something we get to uh, hear a lot about a lot of times. So today on the show, we're joined with Brandon Jackson from Riverside Fly Shop. Brandon, how's it going, man? Pretty good. I I can't complain. We're enjoying the, the winter months and looking forward to getting out on the river even more. Absolutely. So you guys have a fly shop. Where's it located? We are on Highway 69 between Jasper and Coleman, just below Smith Lake Dam. Okay, just below the dam there. And it's called Mm -hmm. Riverside Fly Shop. Y'all sell the fly rod equipment, the lures and all, but you also guide out of there, correct? We do. We are a full-service shop. We um, We do some rental equipment. We've got uh, a big fly bin. We've got basically anything that you need to get going in the sport of fly fishing we can provide. So we we try to make sure that we stock the shops as well as we can. And then we also have a pretty big fly tying room. And so we get people into the sport that way as well. That's really cool. Well, We've got that part out of the way. Now let's talk about fly fishing. Cause I, like I said, I've gone up and, and I love it. I love going up to the Hiawassee river in Tennessee, going to Arkansas to the white river and some of those other ones up there. But talking about fly fishing below the dam at Smith Lake is something that I, I'll be honest with you until today, I didn't even know it existed for trout sure. up there. And, and there's probably a lot of people out there that are listeners that are like, like me that, that maybe didn't know about this. So kind of tell us about the fly fishing world below the dam at Smith Lake. So they built the dam in uh, 62 or began operation in 62. And from that time, they either stocked the lake or the river. So it's been going on since the, you know, late sixties, early seventies. And uh, it was very a well-hidden secret for a number of years, but recent improvements have made it uh, more attractive and we're seeing more anglers. But uh, the the big thing is the state is able to stock the river um, once a month and those fish are able to survive for uh, several weeks, some for months and some for even years after that stocking and uh, and get bigger and grow and provide a great opportunity for especially fly anglers to pursue uh, trout in Alabama. Well, so uh, I'm assuming that Smith Lake such a deep lake that there's there's some really cold water coming out of the bottom of that lake. And so I'm, I'm assuming that's why the fish do well there is because the water is so cold coming out of the dam there. That's right. First of all, how far down the river can these trout survive before that temperature change affects them in a, in a negative way? Sure, and that's going to change a little bit with um, environment. You know, the colder it gets, the further their range is. But what the state considers the cold water fishery is from the dam 
about 15 miles downstream to the confluence of the Mulberry Fork. And the Mulberry Fork is a pretty big river. And when it comes in, it's, it's usually producing water that is warm enough that the trout don't want to inhabit it. And so they move back up into the Sipsy Fork. All of those, so the, the Sipsy Fork flows into the Mulberry Fork, which flows into the Locust Fork, which becomes the Black Warrior River. So they're all forks of the Black Warrior River. Mm-hmm. And if the waters, you know, if the if the air is cold enough for long enough, they can make it all the way down into the Black Warrior. But traditionally and typically, uh, their habitat really extends from the dam about 15 miles downstream. So what temperature is too warm? Once it gets to about 70 degrees, they're going to suffer difficulties and probably die. And we're getting our water through the dam at about uh, 90 feet below the surface of Smith Lake. And so it, it stays in the, the 50s. Usually it's pretty rare to get a temperature reading above 60 degrees. Awesome. You touched on this earlier as far as these fish are being stocked by the state. Mm-hmm. How long do those fish survive normally? And I guess there again, it depends on, I mean, right now it's wintertime. So I'm sure if they stocked them now, they would, you know, survive longer. You would think the, the, and that is true, but it's not true for the reasons most people would put into practice that, you know, the common sense would say, you know, okay, it's colder outside. So uh, if you put them in with colder air temperatures, then they would survive better. But Really, what makes them survive better in the winter is that we don't have as many anglers. <laughs> so, so that's so the water temperature never changes because it's so deep below the surface of Smith Lake. Um, oh. You don't really get these great fluctuations in water temperature. So the the fish don't care if it's five degrees in the air outside because the water is still going to be around fifty, and they don't care if it's one hundred and ten in the air because their water temperature is still going to be in the fifties. And so for them, the air temperature, you know, it just doesn't really matter that much because that water is a constant range. And so it'll fluctuate a little bit, but it's not fluctuating in the numbers that you would see in a typical river system or even a small lake or small body of water because it's coming from such a a large body of water and so deep that the air temperatures just don't really affect it that much. Just don't affect it until you get downriver further. That's right. What that does is uh, they stock near the dam and they have created Alabama Power um, has an operating license to generate and to operate the dam at Smith. And they have put a good deal of money and effort into creating more of a trout stream near the dam and, and causing it to function even better to hold those fish upstream. And that's been effective over the last several years. That's helped a lot. And, 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 uh, and kind of walk through those, that a little bit. What, what have they actually done there to, to improve that? So they actually put in some metal staircases. Mm-hmm. We have an improved minimum flow. So when the water is not being generated, we're still able to keep flow on the water, which provides the fish with better oxygen and with better food. And they, they came in with a big excavator and moved rocks around in order to create better habitat. And that's all occurred in the upper section. And, and it really did make a better, especially for fly fishing, it, it's shallower, it's moving faster. And so flies tend to work better there. 
we're looking at doing some improvements. We have a Trout Unlimited chapter that is working pretty hard in order to improve the fishery a little further downstream where most of the spin anglers and, uh, and bait anglers will fish for the trout uh, in those areas because it's deeper and it's a little slower. And so that method of fishing seems to work better in those lower sections, whereas fly fishing seems to work better upstream. So that was, that leads into one of my next questions as far as like water depth and, you know, so I know that, you know, normally when I think of fly fishing, it's in fairly shallow water. I mean, not too terribly deep, anywhere from a couple of feet to, to five or six feet. What kind of depth do you have on the water below the dam? Right below the dam, it'll be pretty deep. It can get to 12 even 14 feet in the middle of the channel, um, right below the dam, very close to the actual dam wall. Mm-hmm. But as you go downstream, and especially through the areas that were improved, it, it's still going to vary because you want to create for a trout stream an area that is riffle water, so very shallow, lots of cobble that, that kind of causes little waves. Then you're going to have a run, and so that's a, a, sm- a slightly deeper area that kind of channels some water through. And then at the tail end of that, you want a pool where it's very deep and everything has a chance to kind of settle to the bottom. And they tried to create those sections in that area. And so you get those varied depths. You've got very shallow water, you've got knee deep water, and then you've got water that's up to five or six feet deep in the pools. And then as you go further downstream out of those improvements, you get back into more channelized water where it goes from six to 12 feet deep in the middle of the channel. Man, that is so cool that the state has done that and that they're getting behind that initiative to make those improvements. That's really cool that they're doing that uh, and that they've done that. Right. When they're stocking, I mean, what, what size trout? Is it mainly just, is it all rainbow? Is it rainbow and brown or, or brook? Or? It is all rainbow right now. And what We would size? love to get some brown trout, but uh, we haven't been able to do that yet. What size do they stock? It will vary anywhere from 8 inches up to 18. Wow. So yeah. they're stocking some decent-sized fish. They are. Again, they do it based on weight. So when we get the smaller fish, we get more of them. Mm -hmm. And then when we get the larger fish, we definitely get many fewer fish uh, with those stockings. Well, are you, when you're doing your guide trips, is this something you're mainly doing out of a boat or are there people going there? uh, If somebody was wanting to go up, are they going to need to be in a boat to do this? Are they wade fishing Or, or can you do both? We offer both. Um, We suggest if somebody's just trying to get into the sport or learn how to fish the Sipsy Fork specifically, or they're getting ready for a Western trip and they want to learn some new techniques and things, I believe it's more beneficial to do a wading trip because I can stand right beside you and and really work on instruction and, and teaching new skills and things like that. But we also offer the drift boat trip, which is more geared toward having, having fun, relaxing, seeing a ton of the river, but also some really good opportunities to catch some fish too. So you've got two very different types of trips and, and usually for different 
aspects and, and different focuses. Uh, I would say that our waiting trips are much more just focused on the instruction. We mm-hmm. still, we're still fishing, we're still catching fish and all those things, but, but it really does lend itself toward uh, teaching and instruction. Whereas the drift boat is just a lot more relaxed. It's, it's just, um, we can still do the instruction. We can still take beginners and get them casting well enough to have some opportunities at some fish and do well, but it's, it's just a more, more relaxed. There's, there's just more to see because we're moving so much right? and, uh, and it's just more relaxed. Just, yeah. And you, and you just, like you said, you cover more of the Creek, you, you can cover, cover more areas and, and find fish. And so if somebody is wanting to come and, and do a fish up there, I mean, what, what's kind of the expectation? I mean, and I know that probably changes depending on, uh, how much they've stocked when they've stocked, when you're coming and, and weather conditions, but an average day, what's the guy going to expect? How many is he going to expect hits or bites or fish to catch? I think I've gotten to the point where in a four hour trip, um, it's a, it's a pretty good day. If you have, uh, as a beginner, you know, just getting started, just coming to the the, uh, river, not really knowing much about it. If you can get five takes in four hours, you're, you're doing really, you're doing well. You, you've got some things figured out. You're, you're on some fish and that's, that's a pretty good result. They actually manage trout streams throughout the U S so that the average angler is expecting to, to either take, have a take or to land one fish per hour. Wow. And that's, that is their goal in management is to, to make it so that the average angler is able to catch one fish each hour. And so I would say if you can, if you can meet that, you're doing pretty well. I mean, that's, that is the benchmark throughout the U S that's very yeah, interesting. It's, it's a little surprising, right? Right. Uh, there are places that you'll go and, and it seems like every cast you're catching fish and there are, you know, those magical days on the city fork that are that way as well. But you also alternate those with days where you go out and you fight all day for that one take and, and hope that you're ready when it happens. And I guess when you average all those things out between the, the expert anglers and the, the novices that are just getting started, right. that's probably accurate. It's, it is, uh, it's a hard thing to think about sitting at the house or, you know, after a fishing trip that that would be the average. But according to the documents that I've read through the different fisheries and Department of Conservation and Natural Resource offices throughout the U.S., it seems to be that that is basically their goal. Well, and, you know, it, it's probably, you know, if you go out bass fishing above the dam and you're a novice and you don't mm-hmm. really know, maybe you're learning, you know, you may not catch a fish and you may That's catch right. very few. And then you've got guys that are really, really good at it uh, that, that are going to sure. catch 50 or 60 right uh, on a good day above the dam so I, i'm sure it's a little bit like that as well that if you're you know guys that really know what they're doing they're, that's probably maybe they're going to have a little bit better rate but if you're right if you average that out then then that's really not that bad it isn't nope it's it's what we i think we all think that we're expert anglers right <laughs> so, so we all think that we're gonna exceed expectations but i you know, when, when you really look at it, how much time people are spending on a waterway and, and how much they're willing to invest 
to learn and figure it out. And it, it takes time. It takes it takes work and effort to do those things, but it does pay off. And and you should see those numbers increase as you uh, increase your skill level and your familiarity with a certain body of water and, and how it operates. So well, it's good. I've fished, you know, I've fished all over. I've fished in, um, in a, a lot in North Carolina, uh, a little bit in Tennessee, pretty, pretty good in, in North Georgia. Um, we take the girls to Arkansas once a year to fish dry run Creek, which is for kids only. And I would say that the, the Sipsy fork is fairly average among those throughout the entirety of the year. I think, we suffer a little bit in the summer when everybody's out and wanting to fish with their kids and enjoy time on the water just because of how much pressure we can get. But I, I see that at other places too. So, sure. uh, it's well, just that was the next thing. question. Next question I had was pressure. I mean, is there, is it highly pressured? The amount of pressure for the amount of fish is probably a little bit high. Even though we're getting stocked once a month, the number of fish that we're receiving will fluctuate from four or 500 to 2,500. That may sound like a lot to be stocked each month, but in that river, it is a one-to-one ratio because those fish are not able to spawn because of the generation schedule, uh, moving that water so much in volume and in speed. And so we don't have any natural reproduction taking place and so every fish that an angler catches is a fish that had to be stocked. And that number in relationship to some rivers just isn't high enough for some of the pressure that we get. And so we're, we're working with the state to try to figure out ways to, to make that ratio even better. It, it's hard though. It seems like in other states, what they found is the more you stock, the more anglers you'll have. So you talked about the White River earlier. They get a million fi- over a million fish each year Goodness. stocked into the White River. They expect those fish, they expect of those fish to get about a 90-something percent mortality rate. So within a month, 90% of those fish that they stock will die or be taken out by anglers or be eaten by predators. We had a wow. recent survey on on the Sipsy Fork, which actually showed that we are able to keep 30% of our fish in the river for about five weeks, which is great. I think, you know, that that really gives us something to work with and uh, and move forward from. But, you know, this year was a little bit of a a flyer. It was a little little out of the norm in terms of fishing pressure. But I think it introduced a lot of people to the Sipsy Fork and I'm, I'm hoping that our state can keep some of those anglers in our state instead of sending them to Georgia, to Tennessee, to North Carolina, to Arkansas. I think it would be so beneficial to local municipalities, to local businesses. We support a lot of local restaurants and hotels and things like that, recommending people to stay there. Absolutely. And so we hope that it can, you know, it can continue to grow. But I think we will have to change some things in order to make sure that everybody who comes has a good experience and a good opportunity. Well, and hopefully the state, and I'm sure that they do, that they, they realize that that's keeping our fishermen here in Alabama, but also potentially bringing in other people that fly fish into, into, into our state, which is, is revenue for the state. And, 
Uh, sure. So as they see the the pressure and the the number of of fly fishermen increase, hopefully they increase the the stock ratio as well. But guys, I don't want y'all to miss something he said just a second ago about the one to one ratio. This is I think this is incredibly important to to talk about is because these fish do not spawn uh, it is literally when you keep a fish out of the sipsy fork the only way for it to be replaced is through restocking it's not like a bass or crappie or brim where you know they're spawning and thousands and thousands of fish are or you're, you're basically getting natural replacement it's not like that at all with these fish so catch and release i would think would be very vital to keeping that fishery as good as it can be it, that's what we practice i think i do think that it helps for sure i know that we have caught the same fish on multiple occasions and so it, it does show some success with that you know there are opportunities and places that that type of management seems to be beneficial and and to work and to provide more and more people an opportunity and it certainly seems that the sipsy fork is is one of those places for sure that's awesome man well look i've loved having you on and 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 learning about this and 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 obviously i had a lot of questions usually i just have my guest on and i don't have to ask a lot of questions because they're <laughs> talking about their bass fishing or or crappie and and but uh i'm so interested in what you're doing up there and if somebody wants to contact you to learn more about this maybe to talk about the fly shop or to book a guided trip with you uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you, Brandon? They can always call the shop, 256-287-9582. But we also have a website that has all of our information, uh, riversideflyshop.com. And that has the links to the Facebook account, to our Instagram account, and all of our email as well. That's awesome, man. Well, I love what you guys are doing up there, and I appreciate you taking time out of your day to jump on the show with us. And, uh, man, I hope you'll come back on soon. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking with sure. you and learning about this, and, and and we'll plan on having you back again before too long. Maybe we can do it uh, on the banks of the Sipsy. Hey, you know what? I can see I can see me bring it coming up there and 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 making that happen. All right, buddy. We appreciate That's it, man. Good. Stay safe out there and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, thank you. Man, how cool is that? I mean, that's just one more thing. We talk about this a lot, just the diversity of our state and with the excellent bass fishing, then stripe fishing. I mean, we go go to catch 30 pound stripes crappie fishing is amazing and now we throw in fly fishing for rainbow trout in there uh, we're just blessed to have what we have in the state and, and the fishery that that we have so awesome show uh thank you guys for listening and that is going to wrap it up for this week please subscribe rate and drop us a review wherever you listen to the podcast if you'd like us to email it to you just text the word fishing to 646-495-9867 and we will email you the new show each and every week so thanks again for listening 
and we will talk to y'all next week. Thanks. This episode was brought to you by Great Bucks Island is a family owned and operated business since 1948. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. Visit them at bucksislands.com or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. If you're fortunate enough to own a lake or a pond, then I know you want to get the most out of it as possible. We all want to manage and grow big deer on our place, so why not grow the biggest, most healthy fish possible as well? Give Norman a call at Southeastern Pond Management at 205-288-1371 or just look them up, southeasternpondmanagement.com. And brought to you by Sun South from Outdoor Equipment, Parts, services, accessories, Sun South has you covered on the best for less. Visit SunSouth or SunSouth.com for quality John Deere equipment. Sun South for those that do. And brought to you by Fish Bites. Ready to go when you are, regardless of when you're ready to go fishing. This bait stays on the hook and the fish stay on the bait. Check them out, fishbites.com. And brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save a bundle online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And brought to you by You Do Outdoors. Check out You Do Outdoors on your app store, Google Play. It's a social media app for whatever you do outdoors. And brought to you by Brian Sand with National Land Realty. You already trust me with your fishing report, so trust me to help you find or sell that next piece of property as well. Just give me a call at 601-383-2344.